everyone. My name is Maria Thomas, and I work for Allianz Research, the global team of economists, strategists, sector advisors, and foresight experts of the Allianz Group, led by Ludovic Subron. Welcome to Tomorrow, a podcast where we'll be talking about our latest analyses of economic and capital market developments, as well as our views on trends affecting risk management. Let's get started. Financial and risk literacy have always been key in a context of slowing economic growth and pervasive low interest rates. But now, in the wake of the COVID-19 crisis, they matter more than ever. When we surveyed savers in several countries, more than half of respondents reported the pandemic to be the most impactful economic event of their lifetimes. But our survey also showed that the level of financial literacy is disastrously low. And that could explain why some are better able to cope with the shock compared to others. In this episode, we dive into the results of the survey and what policymakers need to do to close the financial and risk literacy gap with Patricia Pelayo Romero, expert in insurance at Allianz Research. Hi, Patricia. Hi, Maria. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So why don't you tell us about uh, why, why did you decide to look into financial and risk literacy at this moment? Well, um, we started thinking about the topic way before um, this crisis hit. Um, we were mm-hmm. thinking about certain topics such as financial inclusion, retirement inequalities, participation in financial markets. And um, we knew that there were some gaps in terms of gender and generations. And uh, before the pandemic, the slowing down of economic growth and the pervasive low interest rates and the convergence of risk amongst different financial instruments There were already topics that uh, created some urgency for generalized financial and risk literacy amongst the population. Um, Financial knowledge, as we've learned, is a critical factor that explains why a sector of the population is better to cope with shocks compared to others. And even without COVID-19, there was a growing need to be financially literate in order for our customers and societies uh, to make the most out of their resources in all stages of their lives. Okay. And how do you measure financial and risk literacy? So to measure financial and risk literacy, we asked multiple choice questions related to numeracy or the calculation of simple interest rate, compound mm-hmm. interest, um, basic accounting, and the interaction between inflation and purchasing power. Just um, to measure risk literacy, we asked questions about probability, uh, risk and return and diversification. So tell us more, you know, for our listeners, why why are these skills important for financial planning? Well, I mean, while we obviously do not expect them to all be asset managers or financial advisors, I mean, we, we would be out of a job if they were. Um, <laughs> we would like widespread understanding of these topics. We don't really care whether you can tell me uh, a point estimate of a compound interest question. But what I do care about, or what, what we care about, is that you know that uh, simple interest and compound interest are not the same thing, and that you get more from compound interest and much more the longer the time passes. Okay. And so if these are fairly simple notions, why do you, why do you think the general population is lacking these skills? Uh, well, in the earlier 
20th century in rural America and generally in the Western world, um, this was part of the elementary school curriculum. Nowadays, you only get to be taught this if you decide to take this academic route. Um, I don't know, for example, my parents uh, do not come from rural America, but they come from rural Mexico. And even though mm. I have a master's degree in economics and I work in the financial industry and they certainly do not, they are faster at me at, at making this sort of calculations. Um, and it's only because they were taught this at school and they had this repetition. So they were not taught this concept once, but throughout their academic lives. And I think it's important that uh, these concepts are taught uh, in school to young children. All right. So let's go back to the, the survey. Can you tell our listeners, you know, which countries did you look at this time? Well, this was our first survey. So we wanted to look into big countries in Europe and the U.S. for simplicity and comparability reasons. Um, we ran our survey in Germany, our home country, Austria, Switzerland, France, Italy, Spain, and the U.S. And we surveyed around 1,000 people per country, and it was representative of uh, education, gender, and age distributions. Um, okay. As we asked them as well about the impact of the pandemic and how they had coped with it and the depth of the shock that they had felt uh, at the moment. Um, we also asked them about their expectations and asset preferences because we are the insurance and wealth team. We care about uh, the society um, <laughs> prosperity. Okay. And so, so tell us about the results that uh, came as the biggest surprise. Well, in regards to the impact of the pandemic, at least 55% of our respondents in these countries reported that the pandemic was the most impactful economic event of their lifetime. Um, mm -hmm. And there were differences in countries uh, that reflected the depth of the sanitary and economic crisis at the time. Our German respondents show the highest level of resilience and uh, only 20% of them reported having lower income because of the pandemic against uh, 30%. Um, of the total sample. And um, mm. there, but there were two aspects that were uh, in common in all countries. Women and millennials were uh, disproportionately affected by the crisis. Around 38% of millennials against 27% uh, of non millennials had to cope with lower income. And uh, the gender gap was equally large. Uh, around 33% of female respondents saw a significant drop in their income against 27% of male respondents. And okay. when you're talking about real people, these are not just numbers. There are, there are people and there are livelihoods that are at risk. Mm. Another huge shock uh, was the level of financial literacy across sectors of the population in the countries that we run our survey in. Overall, only 29% of the respondents answered all of the core questions correctly, and 23% of our respondents answered all risk corrections, uh, all risk uh, related questions correctly. I was mm -hmm. not too shocked after living <laughs> three years in Germany that the highest level of money savviness was found in the DAH region, where uh, over 30% of our respondents could answer correctly. Um, okay. But the lowest number of adults that could accurately respond to all of these questions were in France, Spain, and uh, sadly in the U.S. Okay. And so tell us more about why these results matter. 
Well, it matters because there are financial shocks that come into our lives um, unexpectedly. Uh, whether it's uh, uh, something that uh, happens to everyone, like the pandemic, or whether it's a personal uh, situation, like unemployment. And our livelihoods should not be affected by them. Um, there needs to be a contingency plan. In the U.S., if you are young, chances are that you are entering university and are uh, entering as well into debt. How will you manage that? If you are a millennial, you may be thinking about acquiring real estate and being hit by the hard truth of the current real estate prices. You need a right. lot to be in debt for a mortgage. Um, mm. If you are a woman in childbearing years, for example, you need to think about how a break in your career will affect your income and your pension. If you are an older individual at the peak of his or her financial income, you need to think of adjustments to your lifestyle in order to keep your well-being intact in retirement. I mean, it's it's a lot. Avoiding the hard truth okay. of financial planning and not having savings and not preparing for hardship does not make the problem go away. So let's let's go a little bit deeper into the differences between men and women that you found in in the study. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about that? Yes, we picked up differences between, uh, as we've said, genders and uh, and age. And um, when I looked at, at the results from millennial women, as a millennial woman, I was appalled. Um, truth is that we have a default male in most aspects of life. You know, I, I, for example, car seats were uh, designed for men. Uh, medicine were designed for, for men. Everything from product design, even phones are not designed for our hands. So... Uh, most of these things, and including retirement, are catering to males as a default. And it is therefore unsurprising that there are gender differences in financial instruments. We are now changing and, and the world is becoming now uh, more inclusive. Um, there are now financial instruments that are designed to cater to women. For example, there's uh, a life insurance product that covers uh, women. And in the case, in case of a fatality, uh, the education of their children um, will be covered by, by this product. And I find this mm. a very beautiful improvement because it's thinking about a very special need for women. But in, in, when you're being inclusive, um, you are being good to society in general. In any case, um, unequal pay and breaks in employment history uh, are just two of the reasons why women are more vulnerable in their lifetime income and retirement than men. So on top of this, a gap in financial literacy is alarming. Low financial literacy and the greater impact that women have had in the pandemic creates the perfect storm mm -hmm. scenario for the pandemic to become a she session. Right. Um, generally, we also saw that uh, women have lower risk appetites in our sample, but uh, this is not a trait indicative of any gender uh, difference that needs to be bridged. Um, risk awareness might be misconstrued as low risk appetite. And on top of that, the average woman has a more unstable income than the average man or a more fragile mm -hmm. labor situation, um, right. which makes women more inclined to want to understand the risks that they are undertaking, as well as to invest in projects that have social value. Uh, however, when wealth, income, and labor status are the same, there is very little evidence for uh, gender to play a part in risky decisions. 
Mm-hmm. Um, however, uh, when women do engage in capital markets and when they do have this uh, level of wealth, um, the risk uh, appetite is not different from men. Um, in general, uh, risk awareness has more to do with past experiences and knowing what is at stake than calculating probabilities on like uh, mm-hmm. risk literacy. Um, and this can only be attributed to personal history and not really to their, to their numeracy skills. Okay. That's really interesting. So what, what do you think policymakers can do in this context? Well, I think that the disastrous, disastrously low levels of financial and risk literacy are a call for action. Um, the investment environment was already challenging before COVID-19 hit, um, And it has become more difficult ever since. Without sound knowledge, many households are doomed to make wrong financial decisions um, with devastating consequences for their financial well-being in the future. Um, There are decisions that we make that can have a long-lasting effect in our financial well-being. Um, Let's take moving overseas, for example. You need to know if uh, your social security is transferable. You know, how much do you have on your mm-hmm. pensions account? Um, can it be transferred to the, your new destination? So, I mean, in the end, what can policymakers do? Well, for one, they can bring back these topics into the school curriculum. Risk literacy is a very cheap policy that can be achieved by educating uh, the population in statistical thinking. In other words, statistical thinking is the ability to understand and critically evaluate uncertainties and risk. Information mm-hmm. is a very cheap policy that has long-lasting effects. We've seen it do wonderful things for maternity education, for early childhood stimulation. So why not try this in financial and risk literacy? Mm. However, while we change the policies, there are a few shortcuts that can uh, that we can take to become financially savvy. Just get informed. Ask around how much and where are your pension contributions going? Have savings, but diversify those savings. Invest in financial instruments that have different risk and different returns. Care about inflation. If your income is not growing as fast as inflation, chances are that your purchasing power is decreasing. Track how much you spend. There are so many apps for that. It's never been easier to know where your expenses are going. Um, Maybe instead of stopping every day for a coffee, think about how much that accumulates over a year and have a lavish, vac- a lavish vacation instead, you know? Um, <laughs> I know that we are all desperate to resume normal life after a year of being told no to a lot of things, no to visiting your family, no to meeting friends, no to traveling. But um, in developed nations, people have been accumulating a lot of their income and savings. Use those savings wisely. For sure, keep a part of it to make up for lost time, But don't let a good crisis go to waste. If you have money, make it work for you. But first, get informed. Okay, thank you very much, Patricia. Talk to you next time. Thank you, Maria. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the full report we just spoke about on our website. We'll leave a link in the show notes. If you'd like to discover more of our research, you can also follow the Ludonomics newsletter on LinkedIn. We'll leave a link down below for that too. If you like the podcast, please send it to any of your friends who might like it too and leave us a rating and a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. In the meantime, stay tuned for the next episode.